Divine appointments. It has been on my lips so often in this season. It seems that a decision to, in the, we made months ago in this human Bible study to do the scriptures and the gospel of Mark line up with current events. And that is such a divine appointment. And this week is no different than any of the earlier weeks. Boy, does the Lord have a message for us today. But we will begin with Jesus talking about the destruction of property and the breaking down of systems. And it actually begins with the biggest system of all, temple. So we talked about a couple of weeks ago when Jesus got angry in the temple. The temple was a system that had been manipulated into a den of thieves and a system that would exploit the least of these, that the, Christ, that the people who Christ cared for. And because of that, Jesus burns with this righteous anger and overthrows tables. Then the disciples notice that the root of the fig tree has dried up, and Jesus once again tells them that forgiveness is shifting from the duty only held to by priests to the ones who, will, who can practice it and ask for it. They can receive it. This is an authority shift in the temple, and those in power ask Jesus who gave him this power, and he ends up leaving them confused because they really they realize they have no ability to confront Jesus on this. And so they have to walk away from the conversation, which sets up the beginning of what we have in our scripture today. Jesus is continuing his conversation on systems of the temple and claiming that it will all be destroyed and not a stone left unturned. For the Jews, this is not a destruction they thought the Messiah was coming to bring. They thought Jesus would be overthrowing Rome and destroying their oppressors, not bringing destruction to them. The temple was where God dwelled on earth. It was the holiest place. It was central to their beliefs. And here, Jesus puts forward that the destruction of that place where God dwells on earth is coming. And that is earth shattering to hear. This is not what the follower of Jesus thought the Christ, the son of David, would be bringing. And this is one of those divine appointments I wanted to bring up today because Jesus is once again speaking in a parable about the kingdom of God and what God had planned for the temple in Israel. The temple being destroyed is deeper than the physical building. What Jesus is destroying here is a system that that building came to represent. No longer will be only the priest that can forgive sins, but anyone who forgives their brother can be forgiven. No longer will you have to come to the, this physical temple to be forgiven. Rather, forgiveness now can be found anywhere that you are. No longer will it require you to give up economic means to atone for forgiveness. Rather, Christ will be enough. The system was about an outward appearance that is about to be overthrown. And now it will be about what's on the inside that really matters. And it feels like the, this type of energy right now is happening. There's a system in place that we're beginning to see did not protect black lives. And now it's being pulled back. Stones are being overturned. And the destruction of a system is happening before us. And this feels tumultuous, doesn't it? It's painful to reveal how our systems, even systems close to us, have been harming people. It's almost like we've seen it partially, but once Christ comes in and begins the healing process, we begin to see it fully. And the chaos of this world being healed 
throws our hearts into disarray. So much to the point of asking, are we in the end times? I've asked, I've been actually asked that a couple of times this week. And it seems Jesus is being asked this as well because disciples, after hearing about the symbol of God's dwelling place here on earth is being destroyed, can only believe that this means that it's the end of times. And what they can look, and they want to know other signs they can look for to know that this is truly the end. Because if it's the end, you know you would be acting differently, right? So let us know so that we can be found doing the good work and not found lacking. And Jesus goes into this little bit of a diatribe that sounds a little bit familiar and very, well, very scary. It starts with a a false prophet claiming the name of Christ. Jesus, well, being the Son of God, knows that there will be people who claim to know him and speak for him, but have really nothing to do with him. Jesus knows that his name will be used to manipulate people because the power that his name has over people. He tells his followers to beware of this and not to believe just anyone who claims Christ. So just because you awkwardly hold a Bible upside down in front of a church does not mean you know who Christ is, especially if we use tear tear gas to clear people out of that church so you can make sure you get your picture taken in front of it. And also make sure that you carry your Bible and your brand new Gucci purse. But I digress. Jesus then addresses the use of fear to control you. He says, there will be war and reports of war, and these things must happen. You must not worry. In this simple statement, there is a tension because Jesus is basically saying, you will always have war. That up until the very end, war will exist. And well, we will not be able to get rid of it. But do not let this be means to control you. But it is just a reality of the times that you will find yourself. A reality of our time is that there will be war, there will be false prophets, and there will be feared. But take heed. This needs to happen so that we can trust in Christ. But with that, there will be persecution. If you follow the revolutionary nature of what Christ is doing, people will not like you because you are causing disruption to a system. And because of that, because of that disruption, you will be persecuted. People will not be okay with the revolution because it calls into questions the systems that we have made to keep ourselves comfortable. I believe an example of this that is very, very close to my heart is nonviolent resistance. And Jesus is actually about to exemplify this in a couple of chapters when he dies on the cross. When nonviolent resistance actually really leads to is having violent acts perpetrated upon the nonviolent actor. System do not like nonviolence resistance because it subverts the expectation of how you achieve power, and that is mainly through violence. Violence needs resistance in order for it to continue. See, it needs that tension. When one side refuses to play the game, it disrupts the very nature and the narrative of the other side, claiming that the opposition is evil and thus the use of violence is okay. When you disrupt the nature of systems of control, people want to push you back in line. And Jesus says, this 
this is going to happen to you if you truly embrace the revolution that's before you. So when you advocate that the true intention of our, of, of our lives is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then loving your neighbor as yourself, the tree priests will scream, crucify him. And when you actually advocate nonviolence resistance to support the black community like Martin Luther King Jr. did, you will be assassinated. And when you pre protest peacefully on the side of Black Lives Matter, you can still be met with violence. People will create narratives of fear to change how people will see you. They will use fear to control the narrative, and that will cause people to hate you. People who should love you and care for you will have their very view of you changed because of a narrative-based fear. And this seems so scary and yet so relevant at times. Hate for who Christ is and the revolutionary message of Christ creates fear that family members will actually turn over every other family members to be executed. But Christ says, stay firm with Christ. Find your faith and your courage in him. He then brings up this language of destruction and how it will be not be a time where, well, you won't be found alive. We should flee to safety. There will be destruction raining down on all of us, and we would not even want to go back into our own houses to feel safe. There will be no time, and their work will be too difficult, and even more, it would be so worse if you're pregnant. Now, this language is very similar to the prophecies from the Old Testament and the tribulation and the end times found in both Daniel and Jeremiah. There's this great importance in this because this talk of destruction and chaos, well, it actually kind of beefs up Jesus' resume. These are things that were prophesied to happen, and Jesus is now saying it will happen. So it kind of, it kind of furthers Jesus' credentials that he is who he says he is. The apocalyptic nature of Christ's words is to shine truth on who Christ is and give credence to and being that rest assured that if you belong to Christ, Christ will watch over you. He is speaking truth to cast out the fear that the apocalyptic world may cause. There are scary things ahead of us, but we must stay woke and know that Christ is with us. And Christ once again warns us against the false prophet that we think will take care of us and ultimately will not. Christ says that these false prophets will offer miracles and wonders, which actually means that these false prophets might do things that we would interpret as good things, but that does not mean that they are from God. I want to say that again because some people have missed this point recently. Christ is saying that false prophets might do things that we may interpret as good things. As in maybe we say like a false prophet could do something that maybe feels like is expanding the kingdom of God or doing a good thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're from God. They're only doing these things to give you a false sense to deceive the people of God. This is so important because this happens a lot of uh, today where people would embrace something and pretend to be about something so that it can deceive the people of God. And Christ warns us, do not be deceived. And I ask for us, beloved church, do not be 
deceived. Christ then offers an image of a glorious return because he's not leaving us captive to fear. And that's most important for us to hear. That in the midst of the muck and mire of life, amidst the killing, the war, famine, and strife, amidst the pain that we may feel, we are not alone. Christ will return. And Christ will return to make this world right again. We cannot give in to fear, but rather we must remain Christ, no matter the challenges that following Christ may present. We must remember that Christ has not left us alone. And Jesus kind of offers a bit of a cryptic answer to the disciples' original question from the very beginning that we talked about. How will we know the time is coming? He once again answers the parable of the fig tree. That with a fig tree, you'll be able to see, uh, you'll be able to know that it's coming because a tree will sprout new leaves. It shows that new growth is coming. And this is actually kind of a shout back to the earlier fig tree that Jesus had cursed. It's a parallel drawn between the tree that had been cursed and the new tree that is coming. The old temple system and the new temple system. Once again, the system is dying the old way. But there is a new system that is coming. And this system, as Christ proclaims that that his word stands eternal, this system will stand eternal. That his word stands eternal. That the things of this world will pass away, but his word will stand. I wanted to speak on this for a bit because of the current culture climate that we may find ourselves in. We find ourselves in a culture that desires to keep holding on to the way things were. The way things are. Instead of seeing how things actually could be. We want to hold on to the things of this world that Christ reminds us here will be passing away. The kingdom of God will stand eternal. And if you want to be part of something that stands eternal, we need to make sure that we're standing with the kingdom of God and not the kingdoms of America. The systems of America will not be in heaven. The economics of America will not be in heaven. Because America will not be in heaven. I'm going to say this again. We need to make sure that we, if we want to be part of something that stands eternal, we need to make sure we are standing with the kingdom of God and not the kingdoms of America. The systems of America will not be in heaven. The economics of America will not be in heaven because America will not be in heaven. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. And we must remind ourselves of that. We must remind ourselves of this because we do not know when Christ will return. And if we do not know when Christ will return, we must be ready. We must be checking ourselves constantly to see if we're participating in systems that will die away or systems that will stand eternal that we should be found that we are advocating for the kingdom of God and not advocating for a kingdom that will pass away. I'm not advocating for us to leave America behind. But what I'm advocating for is a lens in which we view America through. I'm not saying that participating in American systems is wrong. What I am saying is render to Caesar what is Caesar. 
cast down our idols and give them back to the idol maker so that we can focus on the image of God that stands eternal. We want to make sure that we know in our heart of hearts that we are Christians first before we are Americans. Hear me, brother and sisters. We are Christians first before we are Americans. Since we do not know when the master of house will return, we must stay woke. We must pay attention to a systems that we are participating in so that we know that we can stand with an eternal kingdom and not a kingdom that has passed away. That when things are bleak, the war and famine, sh- the world shakes, we must remember that this is not our end. Because our end rests in Christ and Christ alone. And whether he returns or calls us home, we must remember that if we want to stand eternal, we must stand with God. If we want a system that lasts through the ages and in the age to come, we must stand with God. I think at some time, it's good for us to take off the lenses that we've been viewing this world through and put on the lenses of the kingdom of God the kingdom of the eternal, and really look at the systems that we participate in, the systems that we use, and the systems that may have given us an advantage in life. And we are able then to ask for forgiveness and to move on to a new system, a system that stands eternal into the kingdom of God. Peace be with you all. And remember, please, please wash your hands.